This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. In celebration of Breastfeeding Awareness Month, today's episode is with Jada Shapiro. She is a maternal health expert and the founder of Boober, where expectant parents and new families find expert vetted pregnancy to postpartum care providers like doulas, lactation consultants, or mental health therapists when they need it, and it's offered in person or virtually. She herself is a birth and postpartum doula, childbirth educator, lactation counselor, birth photographer, mother, and stepmother. Quite a talented lady. Jada has assisted hundreds of births for first-time parents, A-list celebrities, and everyone in between. Please join me in welcoming Jada, who shares important, no-judgment information women need to know about breastfeeding. Jada, it's so nice to have you on the Fem Power Health podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So I, I always love to share, I don't know why I do this, uh, how I meet the people that I interview, because a lot of them are such interesting stories. And we met at the Future of Care Conference uh, here in New York City, which is put on by medical students. They talk about so many innovations in healthcare. And I happened to be sitting at a table with next to this woman who you happen to know, and you walked up. And at the time, I was focused mostly on fertility, but I took your card because I loved what you were doing in helping women with, uh, you know, breastfeeding and many other topics, which you'll share today. And I'm so glad that I've evolved into broader women's health topics because I knew you'd be the perfect person to connect with. So thanks for making time. And I'm so fortunate to have randomly ran across you at that conference. Absolutely. I know that's one of the the great things about going to these conferences, right? Not only learning, but you really network and connect. And that that is something I love to do. It's just everybody's doing such amazing work out there. So it was really No, absolutely. So tell us about you and Boober, please. Sure. So Boober is a platform where expectant parents and new families can find all of their pregnancy to postpartum care providers like birth doulas, postpartum doulas, lactation consultants, and now mental health therapists who specialize in pregnancy to postpartum. Ooh, Um, I love that ad. That's awesome. We really, we, we fast tracked that when, when COVID hit, essentially, you know, it was in the pipeline and I just said, oh my God, we really need to get this going now. I mean, imagine you're pregnant or you just had a baby and COVID just hit and we don't have any information about it or enough information. Um, things were just going crazy, you know, for five days in New York, you couldn't bring your partner to the, the hospital when you're having a baby. And all of a sudden people had to go in alone. They just had no idea what they were doing. All of a sudden people can't have any family members visiting right after, um, with their babies. So just the stress, I know that the stress for me was incredibly high and I was not pregnant at the time. And so putting that up, you know, we, that really, I think, made, made a difference for people who kind of know, oh, my God, I, I can talk to somebody. The kind of messages we get, you know, which are often late at night of people just seeking help. I'm just happy we were able to add that. But Boober really, 
you know, started a few years ago. It grew out of my first company. I started a company in 2002 called Birthday Presence. And Birthday Presence is the leading childbirth education center in New York City, um, childbirth education and doula training center. So we've been teaching childbirth classes, breastfeeding, newborn care, infant CPR and safety, and then running um, about eight doula trainings a year, plus certified lactation counselor trainings as well. So, you know, I, that was running for, for many years and so many of my childbirth education students, people, you know, or they took my lactation classes and after they have a baby, they would call the company kind of freaking out going, uh, I called the five or seven lactation consultants on this list. I'm really having problems breastfeeding. I can't find anybody who's available today. Help, you know, and I would help or, or try to figure out what to do. But I was like, this is crazy. We're living in on-demand age. You can get your hair done. You can get your dog walked in one hour. You press a button. Like, why can't we get anybody to help people who are struggling with lactation today? Um, I mean, we, you know, it makes a huge difference when you get help. The earlier you get help, the faster the, you get help, the more likely you are to succeed at meeting your lactation goals, whatever they are. And I knew all the lactation people in the city through my work and my years of doing this. And I was like, I just started passing out a card basically in our folders for classes that had my cell phone number on it. It was like, text this number if you have a baby and you need help with breastfeeding. And when the, the text started rolling in faster than I could keep up with it, Boober was formally born. And we've since, you know, matched close to 4,000 people to same day in person lactation support in the city, which has been a real, real game changer for people who are, who are struggling. It's, it's not only, you know, it's not only about just helping people with lactation, but it's also about having human contact and having somebody who really gets the postpartum experience and, and can listen and hear what's going on. Because in, in the U.S., you know, we tend to just drop people after they have a baby. Um, yes. And right, that's just, there's not a lot of support. People aren't expected to go back and see their care provider for six weeks, which is like essentially a lifetime, I would say, after you have a baby. And so having a professional there who can support, answer questions about breastfeeding, chest feeding, um, you know, pumping, lactation, bottle feeding, whatever, but also be a real human who can be there, who's compassionate, who can listen, answer those questions. And, you know, during COVID, we quickly switched into being a virtual care provider. And that's also been amazing for when people can't do in-person care to be able to engage in this way, even though I'm on your little rectangle and popping in. I mean, I just did a session this morning with somebody, you know, virtually, it makes such a, a difference to have a human pop in when a human can't pop in. Right. It, it's been pretty, pretty great to be able to support that way. So, you know, Boober started with lactation and then I, I really wanted to bring over all of the, I had been matching people to birth and postpartum doulas for about 15 years. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So just doing it in the offline, the old fashioned way, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and as time went on, it was like, wait a minute, we're doing this through Boober. We should be bringing all of the doulas over. So we eventually moved all of the doula matching onto the Boober platform. And then we added the mental health therapy and, and down the line, we'll have more like pelvic health course and, and sleep and all everything you, you could imagine related, but right now we're really concentrated in these these four topics. So that's awesome, and I have to echo why you know the value that you're bringing. Like I, so I had a baby almost five years ago. He's going to be five September seventh, and I feel like I was fortunate in the sense that since I had a baby so late, I was hearing about all my friends who are having challenges nursing, and I was prepared with knowing that it would be hard. And for me, it was. And I remember being in the hospital and two things happened. One, they kept trying to kick me out 
because I had a baby. I literally could have left the hospital as soon as he was delivered because I was fine. Um, and I actually really wanted a home birth, but because of my age, they were like, no way. Um, and I was like, I'm not leaving until I know how to nurse because I can't get him to nurse and I'm not leaving. And one night in the middle of the night, this nurse came and she was trying to get me to do this really odd position. And I looked at her and I'm like, this is like for advanced trained people. And I said, I'm not doing it. You need to teach me the basics. And luckily it's because I knew it would be hard and I was ready and I knew how to stand up for myself. And then when I went to the pediatrician and my son was struggling to nurse, they said, you know, just give him formula. And first of all, I want to be clear. I don't think any of us are saying breastfeeding is the only way formula is bad, but it was my choice to nurse. And uh, luckily I was in a very supportive community in North Carolina who you know, taught me that I can go to these lactation consultants because I didn't know who they were and that they existed. And they saved me. I nursed my son until he was 14 months old. And, you know, it was truly the lactation consultants. And this is why I wanted to contact you because I see so many women talking and I feel like our culture, like one thing that's happening on social media is everyone's now starting to post these beautiful pictures of women nursing. They're also talking about the shaming that they're receiving. So I want people to be clear today is not about breastfeeding is the only way. Now let's talk about why. It's really about if you're choosing to breastfeed, you know, let's have Jada tell us all the things that we should know so that we're as successful as possible. And let's tell the real stories. Yeah. yeah so, so that's why I wanted to contact you. And so I really appreciate you making time because women need to hear this, those, you know, perfect little pictures that they have on advertisements with the women smiling and their beautifully sized breasts with the baby there and happy and everything is like not every day and not in all cases and maybe not even in most. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's, it's really interesting. And I absolutely second that, you know, Boober is all about creating, we're a platform where we meet parents where they are, wherever they are. Right. So if you are reaching out to Boober for lactation help, because you actually don't want to breastfeed, which happens sometimes. I, I had a conversation with them with a mom who was like, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to do this. You know, I was listening to her and she goes, I just don't want to do this. Actually. I, I want to wean her baby was five days old. And I said, okay, you can do that. Why don't we talk about then helping you to slowly wean so that you don't have, you know, engorgement and then mastitis, a breast infection. And by the end of the conversation, she was crying and she was just like, you're the first person who told me I didn't have to breastfeed. And thank you, you know, and it was really intense. And that is not why most people call us, you know, most people call us because they do want to breastfeed and they're struggling with it. But it was amazing to be able to support her through that and for her to feel like, oh, okay, you heard me because nobody else did. And that that's really important. Um, I think, you know, we, uh, we are not here to shame anybody who chooses not to breastfeed. And on the flip side, I do want to say that the people who do want to breastfeed really struggle in this culture also because there's not enough support for breastfeeding. Breastfeeding is just, it's just feeding your baby. It's, it's, it doesn't, you know, we're in this place right now. The UN came out a couple years ago and, and said, brelfies are one of the most important things, which is the breastfeeding selfie (laughs) (laughs) that the brelfie is actually helping people around the world be able to feel confident and comfortable with nursing. And that's why there are so many, I think these breastfeeding shots or chest feeding shots, lactation shots, right? People showing that they can do that, or they were able to, because for a lot of people, maybe their family member never had, their mother didn't there. And it's a place of pride for them. And I think we want to 
look at that for each different individual. Um, but what we don't, if we don't do this extra help and support on breastfeeding, it can be a lot harder because our, I have to be honest that our hospitals, at least in the U.S., most of them, not all of them, have practices and policies that make breastfeeding harder. Yep. And if you aren't educated about that, about what makes it easier and what makes it harder, then you are, even if you want to do this thing, which we, we do have to acknowledge does have great health benefits. There's still many reasons why somebody would choose not to, and that is totally fine. But for the people who are choosing to, or even let's say that we never even talked about it, a lot of people don't understand why or how, or how it works, or what are the fundamentals, or what are some of the benefits, right? So I don't even, you know, when I teach, I assume people are coming to my lactation classes, they already know about why they might want to breastfeed. But I, I think the most important thing about the prenatal education to me is about setting you up for success by knowing, A, what the points of failure are, like why, what things make it harder to nurse, for instance, asking if you can keep your baby in skin to skin contact in some cases that's going that's one factor that could make it easier for you knowing also that sometimes your baby can't be in skin to skin contact right and that that doesn't mean all is lost so i think it's it's all i'm all about education meeting people where they are recognizing that not all people are going to make a full supply that's true and do they have to do all or nothing like do we have to make people feel crappy for using formula? No. Why would we do that? <laughs> They're feeding their baby, right? Do we have to make people feel crappy for breastfeeding all the time? No. And so it, it's just so, it, it's so fraught right now. People are so quick to shame online. I think we're, we're really struggling with a major shaming problem. <laughs> That's, yes. We have a cultural shaming problem on everywhere, coming from all angles. So part of parenting, of course, is like getting in touch with your own self, but it's, it's tricky. So definitely, you know, it is national breastfeeding month. Um, but that is not to sit here and shame people are choosing to feed their babies another way. You have to feed your baby. Babies have, <laughs> you have to feed your baby. Um, if you feed your baby with love, however you feed your baby, I think, you know, your baby is going to be okay. Yes. So can you maybe then share with us what some of these, you know, high level gaps are you know, I'm thinking, so you deliver your baby in the hospital and you mentioned some of the gaps there. Then you have to wait six weeks to see your pediatrician and you're kind of like figuring it out. So you have to figure it out in the beginning. Then you're figuring it out till that first pediatrician appointment. And then from what I've also understood, pediatricians don't have a lot of training in breastfeeding, which also could be why, like if you're someone like me, who's like really wanting to do it and the pediatrician just says, oh, this is hard, just do formula, could be happening. So I think it's, it's just helpful for women to understand that dynamic so that they, if they feel like they're not being heard, it's, it's the system. So maybe you can help put that together. Sure. Yeah. And let me just clarify that that first the six weeks that you wouldn't see somebody, that would be your OB or midwife. Who that's you go true. Yes. To, right. So you will see your pediatrician earlier, usually. Oh, that's right. It is like a, yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. I remember being really, really tired and the baby was just born. I forgot about all that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> No worries. But I just want to clarify for listeners that, you know, so you will see your pediatrician on day three or day four. It'd be the first time now during COVID, you know, you're going to see them at that first visit. And then almost all other visits right now, depending on where you live, are going to be telehealth besides vaccine visits. So um, a lot of people are doing most visits actually on the screen, but that first visit is going to be, you know, day three or day four for most people, day two to day four, depending um, on whether you had a vaginal birth or a cesarean birth. But the interesting thing is, and I think like we just have to be really upfront about this. And 
of course, I work with tons of pediatricians and uh, we get tons of referrals from pediatricians right. as well. But so many of the pediatricians I know are the first to tell you. They're like, well, in med school, we studied lactation for literally 30 minutes to an hour. That's, wow. That's it's that small? Thing. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, maybe in some places, there's, I'm sure there are a few pediatricians who've had greater education. And there's plenty. I do know, you know, we have one pediatrician actually on our platform who is also an IBCLC. There's another great pediatrician I know who is an, which is an international board certified lactation consultant, just to clarify. There's a couple pediatricians in the city, uh, in New York and around the country who are IBCLCs. And that means they took the extra time and years to become an, a lactation expert. In my opinion, for sure, of course, pediatrics would include a rigorous education in lactation. And I like to think of, you know, a breastfeeding or just feeding or nursing. We use lots of different words to be inclusive or body feeding is a new term that is coming out that people prefer. So I like to use a lot of different terms, but we want to make sure that, that the professionals who are seeing, like if we were designing the world now, right, the pediatricians would study lactation and you'd have very little need for lactation consultants because you go to the pediatrician actually so frequently Right. And they are in, they are watching your baby's weight and they are in charge of, of feeding and all of that, right? Your OB and your midwife would also and be skilled in lactation because they're the first people after the baby comes out who'd be helping, right? The hospitals would hire more than one lactation consultant. Right now, in some of our hospitals in New York, we have one lactation consultant for 50 people. Wow. How are they supposed to see everybody? So, you know, I think that people's intentions are, are good, but our system is, is severely compromised in terms of, of that. And we're also coming out of our culture still, you know, in the 1940s, 50s, early 60s, we were very much against breastfeeding in this country. So we anesthetize everybody when they, you know, went into birth, they were knocked out. We even gave them injections of medications to dry up their milk. We told them not to pick up their babies when they were crying. So oh my God. we're still really coming out of that. And even though that was, you know, last century, it's almost, it's not quite a hundred years ago, right? 80s. Uh, it's, we're still struggling from that. And so you have people, all the people giving birth right now, maybe half of them were breastfed and half weren't. So they okay. don't even have their, their parents necessarily to help them. It's not, the same as in other cultures where it's just the norm and the baby just latches on and, and you watched it growing up. So, you know, we have a lot going against us, which is why we have to do a lot of lactation education. And I love doing that. That's part of, you know, Boober does lactation classes and talks. And, and I think it's really important to kind of learn those fundamentals. Like one of the big things people don't realize is how frequently babies eat in the beginning. And it makes us doubt that we have enough milk, right? You don't even have full flowing milk. You have this amazing thing called colostrum, which is that liquid, sticky, yellow, gold, um, thick fluid. It doesn't look like full flowing milk. And if nobody ever told you that, and nobody said, your baby only needs one to two tablespoons in the first 24 hours, and their tummy is the size of a little marble, right? Like they can, yeah. they can only hold so much. So they're going to feed literally every 60 to 90 minutes for much of the time. And if nobody has ever told you that, every time you're when that baby shows hunger signs again, you're like, no, but I just nursed for <laughs> half an hour, a half hour ago. And so you start to go, I must not be making enough milk. And then if some staff member or somebody in your family who didn't nurse says to you, oh, I can't believe you're feeding that baby again. Oh no. Right? So we plant these seeds, the seeds of self-doubt. And then the birthing parent is like, oh, maybe I don't have enough. And so maybe we give, you know, we get encouraged to give a bottle really early 
And if we give a bottle really early to some, to a baby, that's fine. And I'm not saying there are situations where you do need to give a bottle, but that baby is not stimulating your breast anymore. And you're not then removing milk, which tells my brain make more milk. So I can very quickly in one day, not signal to my body to make as much milk. So the next day I'm going to make a little less milk because if in the hospital, they told me to give a bottle, but nobody told me to pump my breast or nobody instructed me how to get in there and, you know, extract my milk, then I'm going to find my milk supply starting to dip very quickly. Instead of like in the early days, we're in the milk building phase. And so if people just knew that and they knew that they have enough and their tiny amounts that that doesn't look like milk is actually perfect and it's enough and it's super rich with antibodies and it's helping line the baby's gut and um, helping them build their immunities from the beginning. You know, if we don't help people understand that, that's, that's one of the things that that just, you know, it really disrupts the process. And the other really big thing is that whole putting the baby on the chest and helping. If we just put the baby on the chest and leave it there, babies crawl to the boot. That's what they do. And I feel weird because I don't have my, my dollars over there. Um, <laughs> normally I would have it, but people don't know this. I did not know this before I went into this field, the breast crawl that we call it now. Like, oh, of course they do. All mammals do that. We're mammals kitties, puppies, you know, they all crawl up. And if we just lay back and place the baby there, that that baby will do that too. And the American Academy of Pediatrics has done many studies on this. And they show that one of the easiest ways to help increase initial latch rates of breastfeeding is to actually place the baby in skin to skin contact and do nothing (laughs) as long as it's fine. You know, of course, check that the baby's fine, but as long as the baby's, um, you know, heart rate and respiration and all of that is fine, that baby will eventually crawl and they come from below the nipple and they kind of latch on in in the best way possible. And now it doesn't work a hundred percent of the time. Of course, nothing works a hundred percent of the time, but we, you know, in many studies that they did, uh, they showed that even with people who said they didn't want to nurse, when you just left that baby on the chest, it crawls over there, it kind of latches on. And then people are like, Oh, I guess we're doing this right (laughs) to happen. Um, so it's interesting. And I think like to say, it's, it's hard to say whether we really have a choice, this whole thing, like when I choose to breastfeed or not, because there's so many factors that make it less likely that you will. And, you know, I guess, so I'm, I'm a big proponent of helping people, whatever they need, whatever they want, if they're combo feeding, whatever, if they're formula feeding, if they're donor breast milk feeding, but I really want to help people know that if they want to nurse, right, getting educated and getting support early on makes a huge difference in, in that, um, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics does recommend exclusive breastfeeding for six months, but that's a really hard goal to attain. Yes. That's really hard yep. um, in this country. The other big thing is that, that pain, people assume People assume that pain is required or is a normal part of breastfeeding. Really? Yeah. And it's not, you know, pain is a sign that we need to fix the latch. Pain is a sign that something's not going quite right. And if we can work on solving that pain, whether it's through deeper latch, getting a better positioning, you know, then, then that better positioning creates more milk supply and it's all, it's all linked. But when you assume that the pain is supposed to be there, then you don't reach out for help and you just power through it. But when it's really painful, you're not going to nurse anywhere near as much. And so you're going to very quickly make less milk and have to supplement because the baby is not able to stimulate sufficiently the breast tissue. And also I can't stand it because it hurts. And, and if I have to do it eight to 15 times a day, how could I possibly do something that hurts eight to 15 times a day like that? Right. That'll be intense stress and, and make me have an aversion to doing that, which would be normal and to be expected. So it's not supposed to hurt. Right. 
So what would you, because it's, I, I was thinking, like, I always like to do problem solution, problem solution. And here, I think there's probably a lot of cases where it's going to be unique to the individual or, or you actually need someone to show you. So I don't know how much of that we can do here, but maybe we could start with like, what are some of the common, like you started doing myths and like, for example, that it should hurt and, you know, or slash problems that women face and what would be some solutions? Like an example, one I can think of is what if you're not producing enough milk? Like I was one of those. I was making the cookies, the smoothies, you name it, I did it. And it was a struggle. (laughs) It was like my daily ritual. Like, what do I do to produce more milk? Um, That after working with your lactation consultant or like, yeah, we now actually, it's funny. I'm now working uh, with this amazing acupuncturist and she's put the pieces together that because of my, um, the MTHFR Mm -hmm. and the homocysteine levels, she thinks that I should have been on a completely different regimen to produce the milk. And no one had put that together, um, five years ago. And so, um, you know, this is the other thing is, you know, for everyone out there, like there's so many nuances. It's not like, it's not this quick thing, which is why we need these experts. So, so talk about maybe like, let's start with milk supply. Like it is yeah. supply and demand, but then you have people like me who did everything and it just didn't happen. And it was really hard. So if you have the NTHFR gene, did your baby have a tongue tie? He or- did not have a tongue tie. No, I was on a medication that made him sleepy. Um, so we had to put ice on his back to wake him up. And I, I to this day, I'm like so devastated yeah. that that had happened. And had I known, I would have done things differently. Yeah. But I'm sure that had a lot to do with it too. But yeah, they think it's the MTHFR and my homocysteine levels that yeah. had the impact. But I'm just curious, like, is is it as simple as supply and demand? You know, are there is it are there a lot of women that, that have these supply issues? Yeah, let's talk like, for, like, it's always good to far, first just kind of clarify the supply yeah. and demand issue, right? Because- yep basic level for a lot of people, it is as simple as nursing more (laughs) like literally because people just aren't educated about it. They didn't, they just don't imagine that you could possibly have to put your baby to the breast that many times a day. And on day one or day two or day three, for some people, like it is 15 times a day, which is crazy. It's like, you know, every 60 to 90 minutes. And so that's one of the things. So we always like, when we get when I get somebody reaching out to Boober, you know, who is saying, I'm just not making enough milk, you know, we're always going to say, okay, like, we trust you, you know, let's ask you how many times a day are you nursing? And sometimes people will say, well, you know, I'm, I'm putting the baby to the breast about six times a day. And then I do bottle. We go, oh, okay. Six times a day at like at, at day six or whatever. Like it's never going to make enough milk if you are a under producer or or like a stasis producer, you're only, right? So that's simple sometimes. You have to take a couple weeks and if they are willing and want to pump or breastfeed more and they just weren't doing enough, then yes, you will rebuild supply. So we always like to say more milk out is more milk made. But then (laughs) you're doing that, right? And you're like, "Um, I'm pumping all the time. I'm... I'm nursing all the time. I'm doing all this and it's not working. So there are some other factors like a a really good lactation consultant is certainly going to drill down into, they're going to ask questions. What happened during the birth? For instance, maybe you have a bit of like, okay, this is a long shot. Not a lot of people have this, but you can have some retained placenta. If your placenta didn't fully come out of your body, you will not have the hormone drop and hormone shift that has to happen to start making the right amount of milk. Um, And that's like something that, you know, if we've gone through everything else and nobody ever bothered to ask, 
and some pediatricians should, that should be on the checklist, right? Like, um, is this, is this fine? So that's one of the things, for instance, there could be, um, there's something called insufficient glandular tissue. Some people don't have, it's called IGT. They don't have the full tissue that is going to make a full breast milk supply. So those people may have a sign during pregnancy, the breast tissue didn't change at all. Their boobs didn't grow at all. And I say boobs wow. because almost yep. everybody who reaches out to us says boobs and not <laughs> because I named it boober. I named it boober after like so many people were like, my boobs hurt. That was the most common text I got. Um, <laughs> so I just want to be clear. I, I say it all. But um, if your, your breast tissue really didn't change, like if it didn't grow at all and your nipples didn't enlarge a little or darken at all, like that is sometimes a sign to us that you may have a milk supply issue. And that's, yeah, and that's something like, and you can also tell there's a certain, um, there's a shaping to certain breasts that tend to be more toward IGT, um, that you can even see in somebody pregnant. Like if you're, you know, and it's, it's correct to actually like an OB or a midwife should have this flagged in their mind, whether, you know, and maybe say it's possible, like let's prepare somebody for that rather than not talking about it at all. Right. Wow. That's something, um, you know, I, I don't know, you're more expert in fertility than I am, but I, I do think, you know, people who are using fertility medications anecdotally certainly sometimes seem to struggle more. Interesting. Um, yeah. That there may be a hormonal something that's going on, right. As we're working on shifting that and that hormonal capacity, um, may affect nursing. I mean, not always at all, but like we should look into that more. And I think that's important to look at if somebody had a a significant blood loss during the labor, you know, a real hemorrhage that can affect our milk supply because we're so depleted after, and it can take some more time. Somebody who had a scheduled cesarean and didn't labor at all, doesn't necessarily make the full cocktail of hormones that we would make during labor. And so we would often expect a bit of a delay. Okay. in the milk coming in. And also coupled with that, it's not just scheduling um, or not having that full labor in the hormones. In the hospital, very commonly after a cesarean birth, we separate babies from their parents. Yep. Even, you know, and if you if that happens and nobody instructs that person who's not with their baby to really start stimulating their breasts on their own, then that person's going to be way behind the eight ball. And so like that happens. I mean, I think and another big common one is the NICU stay. If your baby stays in the NICU. Now, if I were designing a NICU today, right, it would involve like lots of other countries and even other cities from where I live do have NICUs where the parent can stay the whole time. You know, I've been in, in the New York City area. Most parents get kicked out when their baby, there's just no space. And so we don't have a place where the parent can stay. And so it's very hard to create your milk supply and keep bringing it back and forth to the baby and people aren't helping. Nobody's at home with them saying, okay, it's been 90 minutes. You got to pump again um, or extract again. But in, you know, if you were in the environment and you could put your baby on you, because most NICU babies, actually many, many can act, go into kangaroo care and could be on the chest. And we could be working with a lactation consultant who'd be in the NICU, who'd be specifically helping. So that, that contributes as well. So there's a lot of things where, you know, it's not just as simple as supply and demand. Um, but then there's eating. One of the things nutritionally that I hear a lot um, that does seem to work for many people, and you'll hear it from many other cultures, but especially like bone broths, um, right? In, in Ayurvedic medicine and Chinese medicine, especially, they're really big on 
bone broths and especially broth that includes all the collagen like trotters. Not, so we don't like make a whole lot of pig feet soup here, but it is something that people will, you know, swear by um, for increasing milk supply. Or I definitely, a lot of acupuncturists I know would recommend that. So that's something interesting is we feed people in the hospital, like just cold sugary stuff, right? We are, true. Are, we're not doing the warm, soft, nourishing kind of soups and foods and things that would help build the blood and, um, and build the milk supply. So that's, that's something you can do as well. I think making sure that the latch is right. Cause even if you, you could nurse all day long, but with a poor latch, <laughs> and if you nurse with a poor latch and you're not an overproducer, some of us do just have lots, you know? Um, but if you're nursing with a poor latch, then you're less likely to make that whole supply. So that can sometimes be what's going on. And finally the tongue tie situation, you know, which I think, we should do a whole thing. That would be a great whole other show on, on the tongue tie controversy because so many parents are struggling with nursing and so many pediatricians feel that tongue tie is so overdiagnosed that they, they're like, forget it. It doesn't exist. And then you get these parents who are coming, like for instance, to Boober, really struggling with milk supply no matter what they do, struggling with pain, sometimes, not always, um, struggling with getting comfortable, struggling with their baby has all sorts of things like gas, um, acid reflux. Acid reflux is common, can very commonly be actually just related to the tongue tie or a non-functional tongue. So all of this stuff doesn't get diagnosed. There are some pediatricians who really get it. And then there's many who are really just like, no, it doesn't exist. And for the parents who have a baby who's not really nursing well, and they're experiencing all of those things that I just said, and then to have their pediatrician be like, that's not a thing, is really hard, because they're like, well, what do I do then? This lactation person told me it is a thing, and the baby seems to have this thing, and you're telling me it's not a thing, and I don't know what to do now, right? And there, I think it's such a controversy, partially because one of the fixes for a tongue tie is to clip yeah, that frenulum there um, underneath the tongue. Um, and of course, people are rightfully like, I don't want to clip my brand new baby's tongue. That is totally, totally valid. Um, and it's not always the fix for everybody. So you can also use, you know, craniosacral therapy, for instance, or chiropractic care with some babies, especially if there was a traumatic labor. If the baby is, you actually brought up that, we'll talk about it, but the positioning of the baby. Some babies are very curled up or their head is tipped to one side, torticollis, where it kind of like tips. And when they get these treatments that much of America would think is kind of woo-woo and crazy, right? But it's a more of a holistic treatment that the babies unfurl and their bodies get straighter and their body, their jaw relaxes. And it doesn't always work, but it's certainly one possible thing to try on the pathway to see if that does any anything different for the, the nursing. And then there are specialists, there are pediatric dentists who specialize in um, tongue tie as well in, in, in clipping or using laser. So it, it's a really, really big topic, but I feel like so many parents feel that that was missed and they didn't understand and they don't, they, they struggle for so long. And then they start to see the other things that come up with tongue tie later. Maybe they don't realize till later, but the, the baby struggles with, um, with speech or struggles with eating solids. And then down the road, the baby also has problems sleeping because their tongue um, doesn't sit on the roof of their mouth like a lot of our tongues do. And then, so they don't sleep as well. So there's all these wow. 
<laughs> that can really be linked in. And, and it's so tricky because if we could just listen to parents that when, you know, our big thing, I'm, I'm like, let's just listen. If somebody tells you they're in pain, then they're in pain. It doesn't matter that their left looks fabulous. They're in pain. Something's going on or they're not making enough milk. So something's going on. But we also do want to help people know that if something is going on, then they do need to feed their baby. And while working on trying to build supply or whatever they're doing, that they, you know, a lot of, I think for a lot of people, there's a real personal struggle or sense of defeat if they can't fully feed their baby at the breast, right? And and so for the lactation consultant to be able to give permission to say, like, if you need to use formula, that is okay, right? Um, if you need to, or donor breast milk, or you need to pump additionally to get your own milk out, like, let's get the baby fed so that we can work on the, the steps and things. And for some people, breastfeeding is incredibly hard work. And for some people, babies just latch right on and it's really easy. And it's an interesting, I feel like on Instagram, we're seeing, we are seeing a lot more now of the hard stuff. We're starting to see that more. Thankfully, thankfully, you know, and I think that people are getting more confident or comfortable sharing like, yeah, this was really hard. Um, But I also don't want to lose that. Like first, it's funny because with all of that, you, you also get a lot of people who think like, oh, breastfeeding is just going to be really hard. I, I do want to say that tons of babies do just latch right on. Yes. I, I do yes, want to put do. that out there, right? Yes. <laughs> they do. Like, it's not like a flaw, a totally flawed system. Right. So I think there's this, there's just such a wide range and we yeah. want to like have everybody be heard in that. But it, for the people who are really struggling, it is really hard because it's not like labor, which is a one day or two day or three day <laughs> thing. Right. It's right. an all day, every day until you change or they're old enough to stop. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard. So it's hard. And, um, you know, as I'm listening to you and I'm just thinking about the podcast interviews I've been doing, you know, the key theme I'm hearing in Allison McGregor, who um, she started a, a sex and gender practice at Brown University because she saw some of the disparities in women's health. And she said, you know, gone are the days of doctor knows best. Doctors are consultants. And what's really becoming clear, there are sub-experts like lactation consultants um, and, you know, many other areas where, like, even um, with endometriosis, like a specific mm-hmm. endometriosis surgeon, not an OBGYN who does endometriosis surgery because they may or may not have trained. So, like, there's all these subspecialties that you almost have to go to. And the other theme that I'm hearing is is that you really need to build a team and the right team. Like as I'm listening to you, like, you know, back in the old days, like even like what the days of the uh, living in caves, like you had these communities where if I'm not mistaken, like women would help, would nurse other f- people's kids if they couldn't. And yeah. there's all this help. And in our modern day society, so much of that has disappeared. And that's why we need these resources. And it's just so nice that they're available. And, and I hope women like listening to you understand, like, this is not, Nothing's wrong. There's this support system. Use it. Get the help. We don't have to figure it out ourselves. There's nothing wrong. Look at these resources. Like Jada knows her stuff. You know, get a lactation consultant if you're struggling. It's there's yeah. no shame. And I can tell you, like, I had such a good team when I delivered. And it was, I mean, even though it was so hard, like I had a team and it was great. Yeah. I mean, I think that is the number one thing. Absolutely. And get your team, build your, you know, when I teach kind of prenatal preparing for postpartum classes, I'm like, know your circles of support, right? Like who make up those circles? And that's going to be, there's the good friends and family who can help you, but 
friends and family can't always totally help you and they come with baggage and they have opinions. It's different, right? And then there's yeah. who are the people that you you hire, you know, whether that's a postpartum doula or your lactation consultant, you know, those professionals in there who can really that you're right, we're very specialized and it, you have to study, you know, lactation consult consultants, they study, it's like a thousand hours of, wow. you know, there's a lot that goes into it. It takes a couple years to be a full level international board certified lactation consultant. And then there are some lactation counselors like myself as well, who just have many years of experience and know, you know, can help with the, the basics and then refer up and out when things are complicated. There is one MD, there's like, a, you know, an MD IBCLC in the city as well. Like there's very few though. And so I'd like to, while we're specializing also, lactation is not totally a rocket science either. And, and I do, I would like to see us generalize it as well, right? In the, the medical field. But until that happens, until I don't, I don't think of our country as very holistic, right? Like until we start kind of looking at the whole picture and see how it's all linked in. Um, I do think, yeah, knowing new reaching out and not being afraid to, I always say like, that's one of our hashtags on our Instagram, you know, at get boober. We, we say, if it hurts, get help. Like don't, don't sit here going like, I guess it's supposed to, or this really sucks. I can't do this eight more times today. <laughs> like just get help. Like today I did a session with somebody and it was amazing. Like the thing that helped was I just said, can you try just pressing into the, in between the shoulder blades of your baby right now with the heel of your palm, just bring the baby in a little bit closer. And I want to see if the head tips back a little. And she did it. And she was like, oh, really? Because <laughs> she wasn't having really bad pain, but a little pain. And I could see like the baby wasn't quite deep on there. And like, that is a very subtle shift, super easy. Right. But but she's not surrounded by her aunts and her mother and yep. all the people. And that is like what you said in the old days, you used to grow up watching nursing as how everybody fed the baby. You would feed your neighbor's baby. Some people couldn't feed. It's true. Yep. And you know, they would exchange babies and, but yeah, you would have just seen so much and now it's so behind closed doors or like people are always covering. And so you have to like reach out. Yeah, no, it's very true. So real quick, there's a, a couple of questions. Yeah. Actually, you answered most of them, but from the Facebook groups, people do share. So real quick, one woman had said that her baby only nurses on one side. And um, it was suggested that, uh, and she's producing obviously more milk on that side because that's where the baby's nursing. It was suggested she go to a chiropractor. Now, clearly you haven't seen this woman. You don't know exactly what's going on. So this is li literally all that we know. And you did mention, I guess, like chiropractic type care yeah. earlier. So, so tell us, like, what should she be doing outside of calling you guys? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I will tell her. I'll, I'll send her a note to, to yeah, check you guys sure. out for sure. But definitely, if the baby's really only nursing on one side, actually, I mean, she will benefit from a chiropractor as well. But it's the, the baby going yep. and getting this kind of adjustment. Yep. So that because the babies probably prefers one side um, because it might really hurt their neck to go to the other side, for instance, or be held in a different way. And it has often to do with the baby for eight or nine months might have literally, you know, not that many uh, months when they were it. a little noodle. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, for the past bunch of months might have been laying in this one position um, and that really influenced their body and it's too painful to get a good latch in the one direction. And so what happens is the, the lactating parent starts you know, they tried probably on the one side and it was so much easier on the other. They kept putting the baby back there too, because it, the struggle was too much on the one side. Um, and then they start to overproduce on the one side, because as we said, more milk out, more milk made, right? So whichever side is getting more milk out is going to start making more milk. So I do think seeing, having the baby see um, either a craniosacral therapist or a chiropractor, but these people have to specialize in infants postpartum. Okay 
can make it. That, that's a great first step, at least. Okay. To see now it's possible her breast, you know, the one breast didn't have enough tissue. I, again, we didn't do it a consult, right. right? So it could be like she literally doesn't have enough tissue in that breast, or something's happening where the flow was so much slower. Um, there's other things she could do. No, that's helpful. Thank you. Yeah. So it has truly been a pleasure. Like we pr could probably do this for six hours, and I would yeah. love to. But you know, if, I'd love to end on with everything that you've seen and the things you see that need to be done, what would you say is your greatest hope for those in, in the world of postpartum, I would say? Yeah. So my, oh, my greatest hope in postpartum. <laughs> You're leaving me to, you know, my, my grand wish, um, what I would, what I would love to see. And it's something I hope to bring to Boober as well. We need like other countries, we need in-home visiting care and, yes. you know, in many other countries uh, like ours, they have midwives or nurses who come every other day, paid for by your national yes. your national healthcare um, pays for that, and they come and they visit and they do all sorts of things from lactation to checking your bleeding to like checking your emotional health, right? So I imagine we're going to you know start that privately, but really I would love to see our system really shift to a model that understands that after you give birth, it is not over. Yes. <laughs> you need care, every, you know, and you need to be checked in upon and it's all linked in. Yes, it is. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's brilliant and, and so accurate. And thank you for everything that you're doing. And I'm glad that you're noticing what the needs are and continuing to evolve to meet those needs because we women need it. So I'm grateful for you and for Boober and let's definitely stay in touch. And uh, I think this is going to be a great episode for everybody to, to learn a lot from. That's so great. It was great to get to talk with you all and, and nice to not get to see all of your listeners, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad Thank you. to talk with well, you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.